Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you have taught us about your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank you that he came into this world and bore the pain that we deserve. Lord, we pray as we look at the work of your Son while he was here on earth, as we look at it in the pages of the New Testament, in particular John chapter 4, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand more about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how we should govern our lives as a result. Lord, we pray that you would use this passage to confront us, to change us, and to mould us to be more like your Son. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've come to an understanding over the years that you can learn something from pretty much everyone. There is no one in this world from which you can't learn something. We sometimes think that the only people who can teach us something are those who are superior, who have greater knowledge in some way, uh, have greater impact in their lives on many people, and so we should be looking to them to teach us things. But even people who are a little green to this world uh, can tell us many things, can teach us many things. I'm even finding that now as my son is growing up, I'm teaching him as much as I can, but there's some things that my son is able to do that I don't know how to do and I'm learning from, uh, particularly when it comes to his Nintendo. Uh, he has some games that I played for many hours in the past and so I was teaching him how to play those, but he has some new games that he's devoted hours to, but I have not. And I actually joined in on one of his games the other day and he's telling me what to do, where to go, what to press, uh, and he, was, he, he seemed to know what he was doing, whereas I had no clue. I was learning from him. And I think we have to remember this, that we can learn from lots of people in our lives. Everyone has something to teach us. And that is true even as we look at this passage together in John chapter 4, verses 27 through to verse 30 today. Last week we learnt about how we can evangelise, how we can witness to others in the footsteps of Jesus. We looked at verses uh, 7 through to verse 26 of John 4 and looked at how Jesus interacts with this Samaritan woman and how we can follow his example, how we can do the things that Jesus did as we share the gospel with others. Now today I want us to look at the next person that we see witnessing in this passage and that is the Samaritan woman herself. And we might think, oh, she's just a fresh convert. What does she have to teach us? about how we can share the gospel with those around us. How can we evangelise those who do not know about Jesus Christ? Surely she has nothing to teach us. Well, I think she does. And I've got seven things that she does that we can learn from and then apply in our lives. Seven different things, seven different tips on how we can witness to others. So last week we had Jesus tips this week we have the Samaritan woman's tips. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, the sermon was recorded, you can listen to that and find out the tips from Christ himself, but this week we're going to concentrate on the Samaritan woman. And so what's the first thing we can learn from this Samaritan woman? Well, my first main point this morning is that in your evangelism, sometimes forget worldly necessities. In your evangelism, sometimes forget worldly necessities. If you want to follow my main points this morning, they're there listed on the third page of the bulletin. And so the first is, in your evangelism, sometimes forget worldly necessities. We see that the woman came to this well to draw water. We see that back in verse, uh, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? She came to draw water from this well. 
But then she seems to forget all about the reason that brought her to the well in the first place. As she's interacted with Jesus, she's been able to hear about a living water and she's been able to hear that Jesus is the Christ, the one who explains all things. She's, she knows that the Christ is coming and he will explain all things. We see that in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And so what does she do next? Well, we read in verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? The woman has come to get physical water, and now what does she do? She leaves her water jar and goes back into the town. She leaves that water jar, which was the reason she came to the well in the first place. Why does she do this? Why does she leave the uh, the water jar behind at the well? Well, it's because she's now got a superior water. She's got living water. She no longer has a need for that physical water in the way that she saw it in the past. That was the way that she was going to live. But now she knows that she is living with living water inside her. She has accepted Jesus as the Christ. She may have even completely forgotten about it. She may not even have thought, you know, oh, yes, I've got Jesus now, so I'm going to go. It seems like she just got up and left. She was no longer concerned about physical water. She was concerned about Christ and sharing the good news about Jesus with those around her. She was forgetting about worldly necessities because she had a desire to make Christ known to others, that others would share in this living water that she has heard about from Jesus. And we can follow her example. When we consider who Christ is, what he has done at the cross for sinners, and then we consider who does not know about Jesus and that living water that we now have, we should be willing to forget worldly necessities to make Christ known to those around us. At times there will be opportunities to share the gospel that will conflict with your lunch time, that will conflict with your dinner time. And what should be happening in those circumstances? It should be like the woman at the well, where you forget about the things of this world because you have a greater desire to make Christ known to those around you. So often we can be overwhelmed with the things of this world, food, water, other things, worldly possessions. We They take up so much of our time and attention. And so we do not have time for those around us who do not know Jesus Christ. This should not be. We should be like this woman. If we know Christ and the impact that he has had on our life, whenever there's an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ, if it's conflicting with some sort of worldly desire, we should be willing to forgo. Hopefully we even just naturally forget, as I think this woman does. I've had that experience where I sort of forget about morning tea. If it's meant to be morning tea, I get talking to people and I don't even think about the fact that there was yummy cake over there. Whereas if you ask my wife, I am very much interested in cake and sweet things and coffee. Um, But I experience this and it's by the grace of the Holy Spirit that I'm actually talking to people and I get so engrossed in talking about Christ that I don't even think about the reason that we took a break from something for a coffee. I'm so caught up with talking about Christ, and I hope that happens for you too, that you are sharing this desire that the woman clearly has here to make Christ known so much that the things of this world pale in significance. 
That's the first thing we can learn from her. What's the second thing? Well, in your evangelism, go to your own people. In your evangelism, go to your own people. It's interesting where the woman heads off to. She goes back into the town. We read that in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? The woman does not head off to Jerusalem. She does not head across somewhere else in the Middle East. No, she goes back to her own people. Why does she do this? Well, she's concerned about her own people. She has a love for them and a desire to make Christ known to them. It's also probable that she's most comfortable talking to them about Jesus Christ. She's got a love for them and she's comfortable talking to them. Talking to strangers about Jesus is tricky. And it's not something that has only happened in our lifetimes, that it suddenly becomes difficult to talk to strangers. No, talking to strangers about anything can be difficult at times. And so we see here that she goes to her own town because she would be more comfortable talking to them. Also, the people in that town would be responsive in a way that other people, if they came to the town of uh, Sychar there in Samaria, they would not listen to in the same way. When someone who you know very well comes and tells you something, it can have a more powerful effect because you know that person. You know things about them, and when you see a change in them, it has a profound effect. And so the woman goes back to her own town, and we can learn from that today as well. Often the best people to talk to about Jesus Christ are your friends and family, and you are the best person to speak to them about Jesus Christ. Not your pastor, not other people at your church. It's you that is in a very special position to talk to them about Jesus Christ. This is why often missionaries, when they go overseas, they are very interested in seeing growth in the Christians that are a part of that nation so that the people of that nation can share the gospel because they know that missionaries don't have the same impact as a national of that country. If the national shares the gospel, they have a greater impact than some white person from Australia going over and sharing the gospel. And we have to remember that, that you're the one who is more concerned about your family than maybe your pastor at church or other people at church or other Christians that are uh, in their local neighbourhood. You're the one that's more concerned for them. You have a love for them that is greater than anyone else, any other Christian may have in their lives. You are more comfortable talking to that person very difficult for a pastor to come into somebody's house and talk to them about the gospel. Whereas you, if you're a family member or a friend, you, you have open access. You can come in and then the conversation can naturally turn to Jesus Christ. And of course, the person that you're witnessing to, if they're a friend or family member, you can have a more powerful effect on them than some other random Christian that they meet. Why? Because they know you. They know all your good things, but also all your bad things, all your faults, all your sins. And so when you have a change in your life, where you suddenly go from being someone who is focused upon yourself or something else in this world, and you are now focused on Jesus Christ, they can see that impact, they can see that change. And that has a profound effect upon them. They know that there's something supernatural going on in your life. And so they listen to you in a way that they wouldn't listen to some random Christian who wanders in, on, at the, wanders up to their doorstep. You have a profound effect upon the people around you. 
because they know you and they can see the change that is happening. And so we need to remember that, that when we do our evangelism, our first priorities should be those around us, our family and friends, our own people, just like this woman. She's not off to Jerusalem. She's off to her own town to tell them about Jesus Christ. So we see, we can learn from the woman that uh, we should forget worldly necessities at times. We should go to our own people. What else can we learn from this woman about how we should share the gospel with those around us? Well, that brings me to my third main point. In your evangelism, sometimes boldly order people or give people commands. The woman here, when she gets to the town, starts to bark orders at people. What does she do in verse 29? She says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? These are imperatives. These are commands from this woman. Come, see, come, see. Which is unusual, you would think, for her. It's kind of odd because, remember, she's a social outcast. She's a notorious woman. She's a woman who has to go and get water in the middle of the day when it's really hot because no one really... Uh, she's, she's afraid of other people. She's ashamed of her life. She's had five husbands and she's currently living with a person who's not her husband. And yet here she comes into the town and starts giving orders. And we can learn from that example as well. We can follow her example and start to tell others what to do. We can be bold in this. Now you may think at times, oh no, I shouldn't be telling anyone anything. I shouldn't be commanding people to come and see Jesus. I'm the wrong race. I'm the wrong social class. I'm the wrong age. I'm the wrong gender. I can't tell someone come and see But this woman doesn't care about that. She knows about Jesus Christ. She knows he is the answer. And she's willing to come in and start telling people what to do. Even though she is a woman and a notorious woman at that, she's willing to come and tell people, give them imperatives. You need to listen to me. You need to come and see the Messiah. And this is an encouragement, particularly in a church like ours, which does hold a view that, uh, of roles between men and women, that men are given different responsibilities from women, and uh, particularly when it comes to eldership of the church, the elders of the church are meant to be the spiritual leaders of the church, and we see commands in the scripture that uh, it's only men who are supposed to be the spiritual elders of the church, who are to be the leaders of the church. But there's an encouragement here from this woman that, You can have a tongue if you're a woman. You can still tell people to come and see. You can tell men to come and see the Messiah. You should not care about your gender when it comes to telling people about Jesus Christ. You should consider that you have found the Messiah and you have a tongue in your mouth and you should be sharing this good news that you have with others, that they can come and see the Messiah as well. It may feel wrong at times to tell people to come and see, but you should get over that at times and tell them that they should hear about the Messiah. And that can be striking to them. If you never order anyone around, and then suddenly when it comes to Christ, you're giving them orders, that makes a big impact. So I'd encourage you not to go overboard with this, go home barking orders to other people. Be careful about how you use this. Don't abuse this kind of concept. But at times, it's important if you've got someone there and you just say, why don't you come and see who Jesus Christ is? Come, come. Even though it may seem out of character for yourself. And sometimes that's the best thing because, of course, they may listen to you. 
if you're not one for usually barking orders. What else can we learn from the woman's example here? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point. In your evangelism, take people to Christ. Take people to Christ. What does the woman say to these people? Verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It's not an elaborate speech from her. She's not giving five reasons for the you know, proof that God exists, or she's not giving all sorts of elaborate arguments as to why Jesus is the Christ. Very simple message. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come see. That's all she says. And that's all you might feel that you can do with people, and that's fine. It's good if you've got some extra arguments there and you can talk about different things, but ultimately what you want people to do is come to the Messiah himself. Not come to you and see. You want them to come to Christ and see him. How can you bring people to Christ today? How can I mean, he's not physically present amongst us anymore. How can you bring people to come and see Jesus Christ? Well, bring them to his word. Come see who Jesus is by reading the word. And you can read it with them. You can bring them to the word. You can give them a copy of the Bible and pray that they will read it themselves, give them encouragement to do so. But you can also read it with them. Let's spend an hour a week, you can say to an unbeliever. Let's spend an hour a week reading the Bible together. Come and see what I have found in the Bible. Meet Jesus Christ. Of course, you can also pray with the person. We come to Christ in prayer. Come and see Christ in prayer. Let me pray with you. We'll pray to Jesus that he would reveal himself to you. And of course, you can bring people to church. If we believe that God speaks through his appointed preachers in a church service, then we can invite people. Come see Christ and see his people. Christ manifests himself in people. He is Christ, and we become Christ-like as people come to church. They should be seeing Christ here as he speaks through his appointed preacher and as his people gather together in love for one another and love for other people outside the church. You can see Christ there. And so that's what you need to do to people. You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to have all this wisdom to be able to bring someone to Christ. No, just invite them to come. Come see as this woman does here. And so if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, come and see Christ. Come regularly back here. Hear about Christ here. Hear him speak and come to his word. Spend time with another person. Any of the Christians here, ask them, I'd really like to spend some time reading the Bible with you. I'd really like to spend some time praying with you to understand who Jesus is better. Come and see. I encourage you to do that. Come and know Jesus Christ. Come to him. Trust that he died in your place and that you can live forever with him if you'll simply believe that he died for you. So we've seen that we can learn from the woman a number of things. What else can we learn? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. In your evangelism, tell people about Christ's knowledge of your sin. In your evangelism, tell people about Christ's knowledge of your sin. We see the woman say a remarkable thing in verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? What is remarkable here? Her statement, who told me everything I ever did. Now we've got a fair idea as to what the conversation was between her and Christ, and we don't see Jesus telling her everything she ever did. And pretty much if you wanted to describe everything someone ever did, 
it's, uh, it'd be a long story. Uh, it'd take an immense amount of time. You wouldn't be able to do it while sitting in one session at a well. But here the woman is exaggerating. Why is she exaggerating? Why is she saying that Jesus has told me everything I ever did? Well, it's because he has told her about her serious sin. Back in earlier verses, we've seen that Jesus says uh, in verse 17, I have no husband, she replied, and then Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I think we recognise this, that our sin can become so much a part of our lives that it's all-consuming. We don't actually think about anything else about ourselves or about other people. Just consider some celebrities. How much do you know about the rest of their work in comparison to their sin that they're notorious for? When I mention the name Bill Clinton, what do you think of? Do you think about all the good things he did as a president? Or do you think about the scandal that he experienced in the office with Monica Lewinsky? And that still seems to plague his wife, uh, his, his wife Hillary Clinton today as she's running for office. That scandal continues to come back. I don't know much about uh, professional golfers, but I do know about Tiger Woods. Why? Because of the scandals, the sex scandals that have been associated with his name. Their sin becomes so prominent that it becomes everything about them. And when people think of that person, they think about their sin. And so this woman here, as she hears about her sin, she feels like Christ knows everything about her because he knows about her serious sin. It is so central to her life that it's all-consuming. And as the Samaritans would have heard her come and talk in this way, they would have been thinking about it as well. She comes and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What do you think they think of when she says that statement? Everything? A random stranger down at the well told you everything? Does he know about? They would have been thinking that too. They would have been thinking about her sin when she says everything I ever did. And we can follow that example of this woman when she comes to tell people about Jesus, she says that he knows everything, including her sin. And so we should tell people that Jesus knows everything about me, including how bad I am. People outside the church often think that the Christians are the ones who are all the righteous people. They're they're the righteous, good people in this world. But the Christians should be the first people to say, no, I'm not righteous. I'm a Christian because I am unrighteous. I am a serious sinner, and Christ knows about my sin. It's not as though I've been able to hide my sin from God and somehow I've ended up being a Christian because I've been able to keep it from him. No, he knows about my sin, and that is why I'm a Christian. And we should be encouraging people to feel the same about Jesus, that he knows everything about them, including their sin. Because if people don't understand that they're a sinner, they won't become a Christian. Who needs a saviour when you're not a sinner? When you are not lost in any kind of way, you don't need someone to save you. And Jesus himself says, I came for the unrighteous, not the righteous. A doctor doesn't come for well people, he comes for sick people. And so people need to understand that they're sick and that Jesus knows about their sickness and that Jesus can cure their sickness. We need to be like this woman 
and tell people that Christ has knowledge of our sin, if sin never comes up in your conversation with an unbeliever, then you're not sharing the gospel. Because it's not good news to someone that Jesus Christ died if they've never sinned. It's just inconsequential news. Some man died on a cross so many years ago, I don't need his help. But if they understand that Jesus knows about them, including their sin, then they will come, hopefully in time, to understand who Jesus is and embrace him. So what can we learn from the woman? We can learn that we need to teach people that Jesus knows about our sin. What else can we uh, learn from her? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point. In your evangelism, ask people questions. In your evangelism, ask people questions. And we see that in verse 29. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Questions are very effective in talking to others. It brings people to a decision. If you ask a question, there's something conditioned from a very young age that they have to come up with a response. And so when you ask a question, people naturally start to, their brains start whirring and they have to come up with something because that's just how they're wired from a very young age. We teach our children, when I ask you something, respond. And so if you've had that for enough years, you reach adulthood and whenever anyone asks a question, you start to have your brain in gear. And that's what the woman's doing here. She's saying, could this be the Christ? Rather than saying, this is the Christ, she's saying, could this be the Christ? Which means their brain gets into gear. They have to think about a response. And, and if they do produce a response, and it's a good response, then that's a wonderful thing. If they say, this is the Christ, and it comes out of their mouth rather than your mouth... They listen to it more. If you say something with your own lips, generally speaking, you will listen to it much more carefully than those around you. We're often very, uh, just generally as people, we're terrible at listening to others. We're very good at listening to ourselves. We love to speak. We love to give our opinion on things. And so if someone asks you a question and then you respond and you have a good response, this is the Messiah, you're more likely to listen to that and accept that truth that's coming out of your own mouth. And this is what this woman's wanting. She's wanting them to make a judgment here. Could this be the Christ? And it's interesting the kind of question she asks as well. It's a question where you're expecting a negative response. And I wonder if she's using a bit of reverse psychology here. Because could this be the Christ? All indicators point to no. She's asking in the way it's phrased in the Greek, the Greek um, construction, it's, the answer should be no. And so it's almost like she's using reverse psychology. You know where you want someone to do something, and so instead of telling them to do the thing, you tell them to do the opposite with the hope that they'll then do the original thing. You do this with children. Uh, you do reverse psychology. If I tell them, don't put your hair under the water, you're not having a uh, hair wash tonight, what will they do? They put it under the water. So if you tell them, put your hair under the water in the bathtub, they won't put it under uh, and so you have this reverse psychology going on. And I wonder if that's what the woman's doing here. She's this notorious woman. No one will listen to her. So she asks this question, could this be the Christ? And their usual response to her would be the opposite of whatever she tells. So if this could not be the Christ, then the answer must be, yes, he is the Christ. And sometimes we should do this as well. Certain people who you may feel will always do the opposite of whatever you say 
phrase it in that negative way. Use reverse psychology if you can. It may be most effective with, um, I would think, with my sisters. Uh, that would be the best way because, of course, they know all my faults, they know all my flaws, and they are often usually want to go in the opposite direction. I'm speaking when I was younger. Uh, but this is where it may be the most effective thing to do. With certain family members, use reverse psychology. And even when you say it in a negative way, as she does here as well, it puts the burden of proof on the other person. Could this not be the Christ? Could this be the Christ in this negative sense? And that then means that they have to come up with reasons why this is not the Christ. If they're pushed in that answer of no, then they have to come up with reasons. They just can't say no. They have to come up with reasons. And this is a good thing to do with people. Say, how is Jesus not the Christ? What evidence have you got that Jesus is not the saviour that we need? Put the burden of proof on them. Don't have the burden of proof on you that you've got to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Give them the burden of proof. Prove to me that Jesus is not the Christ. In what way can you show me that Jesus is not the Messiah that we need? So do this. Learn from this woman and ask questions in your evangelism of others. What's the final thing that we can learn from the woman? We've seen six things. What's the seventh one that we can learn this morning? In your evangelism, ignore judgmental Christians. In your evangelism, ignore judgmental Christians. It's interesting, the attitude of the disciples that we see come to us in verse 27. They come back from the town with judgmental hearts. You see in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised or amazed to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They keep their lips closed, but we hear what's going on in their hearts, in their minds. They're surprised to find him talking with a woman. This person isn't someone that you should be engaging with. This is someone that should not be a part of Christ's kingdom. And so they're surprised, and they're, and they're wanting to ask, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I'm not even sure who, where the question, uh, who the question is aimed at. The first question there says, but no one asked, what do you want? Are they asking that of Jesus? Or are they wanting to ask that of the woman? What do you want? How dare you talk to our rabbi? You're a Samaritan and you're a Samaritan woman. You shouldn't be talking to our Messiah. I'm sure by their faces they demonstrated their attitude toward this woman. And what does the woman do? She gets up and goes. She ignores them. She doesn't try to defend herself in front of these guys and say, oh, I really like your Messiah and he's, he's so wonderful and talks to them and tries to convince them that she's on the same page as them. She wants to be one of his disciples and she's worthy of being part of Christ's kingdom and that they should give her the time of day. She doesn't do that. She just sets up and goes. And sometimes we need to do that as well. Sadly, in the church, you will find judgmental people. That people will be judgmental towards those around them and think that they shouldn't be fit for Christ's kingdom. They're not worthy of coming into our church. In such instances, ignore them. When they're having this attitude towards different people of social class, age, a particular race, ignore them. Don't worry about them. You go and you witness to those people. There's a wonderful quote in church history that's often quoted, and you've probably heard it before, about William Carey, a great uh, missionary to India. When 
missionaries weren't a big thing in England and he had this real desire to go and take the gospel. And he shared this at a meeting of Baptist leaders. And we read uh, from a church history account. It says, at a meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister, he's fresh, newly ordained minister, stood to argue for the value of overseas missions. He was abruptly interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. God pleases to convert the heathen. He'll do it without consulting you or me. If God is pleased to convert those people who do it without you or me, sit down. You're an enthusiast. Thankfully, William Carey didn't listen. What did he do? He did what the woman did here. Ignores these judgmental people, heads off to take the gospel to others. And that's what we need to do as well. If someone thinks that you're just too enthusiastic, and those people, don't worry about them. Leave them alone. God will convert them if he wants them converted and without consulting you or me. Ignore them. Be like this woman here. Go off and take the gospel to them. Because, I mean, that's what's the priority in the end, in the, anyway. It's not pleasing other Christians. It's about pleasing God. It's being about faithful to commission that he has given you to share the good news with those around you. And it's interesting, the contrast between these disciples and the Samaritan woman, as we'll see in future weeks. Um, and even we see in verse 30, which we've seen today, the disciples went into the town and came back with physical food. What does the Samaritan woman do? She goes into the same town and comes back with people. Stark contrast. That's what's important. Not the physical things of this world, which is what the disciples were concerned about and what she was initially concerned about. She's concerned about people and their salvation. And that's what we should be concerned about, not pleasing judgmental Christians. We should want the gospel to go to whoever we've got a desire to share it with. It's all right to be an enthusiast. I love enthusiasts. I love new Christians with the enthusiasm that they have. And I hope it rubs off on the older Christians, that old Christian ministers don't tell them to sit down and be quiet. No, there's an enthusiasm of young Christians that older Christians can learn from. Just as we learn from Jesus, we can learn from the Samaritan woman in all her greenness. There is much to learn and encourage us to evangelise those around us. So we've got seven ideas there that we can learn from her. I encourage you to learn from them. Pray about these ideas that we've seen here today. There's seven of them. How many days in the week, in the coming week? There's seven days. Pray about each one on a day throughout this week. Consider how you can do these things. Each day in your quiet time, keep the bulletin in your Bible. If you brought a Bible today or if you haven't, take it home, pop it in your Bible. And as you do your quiet time, just pray about one of these seven things each day of the week and ask God to help you apply it in your life, in your evangelism to others. Or even talk about these over the morning tea afterwards. Stay, have a chat and say which one you found particularly helpful, which one you neglect. Or which one you find to be very effective? Which one you can see in your life as you look at the Samaritan woman here this morning? Apply these truths to your lives and then put them into practice. Don't just pray about them. Don't just talk about them. Actually do them. And be like this woman who starts to bring people to Jesus. Come see. And they come and they see. 
as we'll see in further weeks, we'll see what happens. And it's so exciting to see what God does through this Samaritan woman. So let's come to God in prayer. Let us come to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of this woman. We thank you for what you did in her life. And we thank you for what we can learn from her. Pray that we may consider how we can be like her, how we can bring people to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would use these ideas to give yourself much glory as we bring people to yourself. May we put them into practice and may you in your grace bless our efforts and grant people eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.